True Crime friends, welcome back to another episode of True Crime in Academia. I'm your host, Mary DePippi. First of all, I hope you all are having a wonderful week so far. If not, that really sucks, and I hope it gets better for you. Just some quick business. I want to say thank you to everyone who came out to our open mic night poetry event that we had and partnered with Pen and Brush. It was such a great time. Everyone who read their poetry was just absolutely incredible and so talented. Deborah Jack, again, just such an amazing artist. So thank you again to everyone who came out. If you would like to see the poetry event, we do have it up on the Ivory Tower Boiler Room's Instagram. Um, We did an Instagram live, so it is up there. You can check it out, hear all the great poems. Thank you to our intern, Nicole, who filmed that. And thank you also to our other intern, Kim, who was in charge of the selfie wall. Without them, this event would have been a lot more hectic (laughs) for Andrew, Jaren, and I. So, Thank you to our wonderful interns. Thank you to all of you who came. And again, if you're looking to see that, go to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room Instagram and you will find it in our, as one of our posts. Today, we have a really, probably one of the most associated cases when I would think of like crime that happens in university. It is the murder of Meredith Kircher, aka the Amanda Knox case. Today with me I have a very special guest. You've heard me talk about her many times in my ads. It's the wonderful Mandy Bangle. Thank Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I'm so excited too. This is this is a crazy three-parter we got for you guys. Um, most of you probably know this case. It is the trial of Amanda Knox. <laughs> probably one of the most controversial cases out there. Um, and in this particular episode, we are going to be focusing on the, you know, main victim, Meredith. And what's really sad is I think that, like, she gets really lost in this case. Like... And that should have never happened. Exactly. Like, she's the victim. She's the one who got killed. But yet everyone is like, oh my god, Amanda! 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 And her sex life. And her business. It's just... Yeah. It's really lost. Yeah. So, that's what we'll be talking about today, and with that, let's get into it. On November 2nd, 2007, police were called to a home that was housing four young college students. Meredith Kircher, a 22-year-old exchange student from England, was found half-naked and covered in a comforter and blood. Her throat had been slashed, and there were signs of sexual assault. The police immediately focused on her roommate, Amanda Knox, and Amanda's boyfriend, Raphael Celesito. 
sorry, I'm probably gonna pronounce a lot of these names wrong. I really did try. And what's also worse is that like I'm Italian, so like <laughs> I should know. <laughs> but here we are. Meredith Kircher was born on December 28, 1985, in Colesden, South London, and was the youngest of four children. By all accounts, she seemed to have a normal and loving upbringing. She had brown hair and brown eyes and was described as having an infectious, upbeat personality and a great sense of humor. She enrolled in an exchange program at the University of Leeds, where she majored in European studies. She planned to spend the year in Perugia, Italy, to learn modern history, political theories, and the history of cinema. It was said that she chose Perugia over cities like Rome and Milan because they were, or because it was smaller and safer. The irony in that, that is... It's so sad. Like, I, I, you know, I love a good ironic situation when I see it, but this one is just like, oh my god. Like, it's so sad. And, like, again, like I said earlier, you know, I wanted to make sure that we talk about Meredith and, you know, make sure that we establish that she is a person and was loved by many people. And, again, she gets so lost in this case, you know, with the media and everything, which we'll talk about in another episode, it just got so out of hand and the focus totally shifted that it just, it wasn't about her anymore. I don't Probably think. Not. No, like, no, you're right about that. And it, it really is sad how this transpired because she was the true victim here exactly. and it wound up turning into a mess. Yeah. And they wind up victimizing Amanda, as we all know. But yeah, I mean, she's not, you know, she was the true, like you said, she was the true victim. Exactly. And it's, it's just so crazy sad. how this transpired. Yeah. Like you said, the irony of that she chose these the smaller city because she thought it was safer, safer compared to, like, the bigger cities, which, again... At that point, that when I found this out, I was kind of just thinking, like, damn, I wonder how the course of her life would have completely changed had she been in one of those other cities. Yeah. You know? Same with Amanda, too, technically. I mean, if Meredith wasn't there, then who's to say that this wouldn't have happened? That's true. <sighs> so, so sad. She had only been with her flatmates for a few weeks at this time, and... So in case anyone doesn't know, the date of her murder was November 1st, and that is considered a public holiday in Italy, which if you went to Catholic school, <laughs> you know that that's All Saints Day. And of course, that's a national holiday in Italy. So <laughs> not surprised, you know, but so basically the whole country was off. And because of this, her flat, her two flatmates that were from Italy had left and Amanda was with her boyfriend. So it was said that she had dinner with three English women, maybe friends. I'm not too sure. It didn't really say. But she was at one of their houses and then left around 845. Those are the last movements that anyone knows of, or at least can say definitively, you know, where she was. Which, again, so crazy to think about. <laughs> you know, just like... Oh, yeah. And to be in another country, have everything be so foreign, everything is different. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of room for some activity here that 
we might not ever know what really happened. Yeah. So the next day, her flatmate, Amanda, was pretty much the only other one who was from out of the country. So like I said, the other two roommates they had, they were from Italy. Meredith and Amanda, Amanda being from the United States and Meredith being from England, again, were the only two out of the country. So the next day, like I said, Amanda returns home from having spent the night at her boyfriend Raphael's. She stated that she noticed the door was open, and which I thought was weird that she didn't think too much of it. But I guess at the same time, like, I mean, I've definitely had moments like babysitting where I would take the kids out to run a quick errand and forget to close the garage door. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, and, you know, and I still go in the house. I mean, they have a dog. So, I mean, you know, I would know if something was right. up based off of that. And that's a little scary, too, because her other flatmates were out of town. It was just her and Meredith. So mm-hmm. to have that happen, that that would be a concern, you know, mm-hmm. or even like a a lapse of judgment from myself. Like, did I remember to lock the door? Did I remember to shut it? Right, exactly. And, you know, she's walking through, like, their four-bedroom, one-story house, and she notices that all of the main rooms, you know, they look normal. So, again, you know, all right, odd that the door's open, but, again, if every, you know, common space is normal, then... Nothing's out of place. Yeah. Again... Didn't think too much of it, so she proceeded to get ready. So she was brushing her teeth, she got a shower, she had noticed some blood drops in the sink, and then noticed a splotch on the bath mat, but when you see the pictures of the, you know, of the blood splatter, there's not much of it. Right. So that can be looked over. Exactly. Like, my first thought was, oh, she probably, like... Or, like, a roommate probably, like, cut themselves shaving or something. Right. Like, started shaving at the sink. Oh, there's a nick. You know, maybe went finishing the shower. Oh, bigger nick. You know. And if there was no types of, like, splatter or pools, you wouldn't think anything of it. Like, exactly. if it just looks like a drop of blood, that could be from shaving. That could be from, um, you know, anything. Like, getting a, a nick on your knee or something like that, you know? Exactly. So, I mean, it literally could have been anything. But, again... No significant amount was in the bathroom, so I don't blame her for not being concerned or anything like that. They're four technically quote unquote grown women, and they kind of happen exactly. <laughs> That's actually my first thought. Of my life. I was like, if you live with family, if you have roommates, flatmates, you're bound to see some type of bodily fluids at some point. <laughs> things get things get crazy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what? did raise red flags for Amanda was when she noticed feces in the toilet. And in the documentary, she says that she looked down and immediately when she saw it, she got a bad feeling and knew that something was wrong. Which, you know, I that's gross. I get it. Yeah. And I think, though, in these types of situations where something horrible has happened, there's gonna be something different for everyone that gets you and just makes you go, oh, shit, I think something happened. Like, you know, like, for some people, it might have been the door that was open. For some people, it might have been the blood in the sink. Like, there might have just been different things, you know, that people respond to. And for her, that was that. I don't know necessarily if that would have raised flags for me. Yeah. 
But again, I watch three small children who don't always flush the toilet. So like seeing poop in the toilet is a common occurrence for me. But for her, she knew that there was a problem. And that didn't seem like something Meredith would do. You know, I mean, she seemed very proper, very, Mm -hmm. you know, poised as as a young woman. Um, You know, that seemed out of character. And you know things happen sometimes you forget but like if you're sick like that was also my other thought like would have been like oh crap is someone sick (laughs) and the pun intended is someone sick and with the blood too you know you don't know exactly so but at least you know something caught her attention that made her think oh shit like maybe i need to look for something or maybe something's wrong so the bathroom that she used, I saw somewhere that they it was the one that she shared specifically with Meredith. So I don't know if the other two roommates shared a bathroom or what the case was. But either way, it was a bathroom that she knew Meredith would have used. So naturally, she just went to go find her. And she tried to go in Meredith's room, but the door was locked. So mm-hmm. thankfully, you know, she at least decided to go and get help. So she went back to Raphael let him know the situation and then he comes back with her and when he come when they come back to the house he, Raphael actually notices that like a window was broken and in the documentary he calls it like a, he was just like it was a mess and together they tried to get the door down like to break in Meredith's door um i think she said that he tried like twice to kick it down and you know it just wasn't happening because apparently kicking down doors is a lot harder than it looks. <laughs> and in Italy, can you imagine how heavy the doors are? Oh, my are? God. Oh, my goodness. Because the house looks older. So I'm assuming there's, like, extremely heavy, heavy wooden door. Yeah. Yeah, blocking the way. But after trying to, and failing, to kick her door down, Raphael decides to call one two or 112, which is Italy's emergency number. Or 911, basically. Which... I want to point out at this point, like, a lot of time has gone by between, obviously, from when Meredith was killed to when Amanda comes home. But then even after that time, there's still a good span of time going by, which generally just means that the whoever did it has more time to get away. Right. You would hope that the evidence... <laughs> It would have been preserved. We will talk about that in another episode. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, this case. This case. So anyway, Raphael calls the police. The police send a car out to the scene and everyone is told to go outside. They're able to kick in the door and inside they find Meredith's half-naked body covered in blood and then covered in her comforter. Officers came outside and they returned. They informed Amanda that Meredith's throat had been slit and there was blood everywhere in her room. Soon, more police were on the scene, literally stomping through the house trying to find evidence. Yeah. I just... Yeah. I mean, in the documentary, Amanda says specifically, like, that was how she was told her roommate died. If someone came up to me and was like, hey, we found your roommate, her throat's been slit, and there's just, it's a bloodbath in there. How, where is, like, the bedside manner or, like, the decorum to even... Or the sympathy. 
you know, like that was, that was her flatmate. That was someone she saw, you know, every day, even around the holiday, she's home mm-hmm. or not. Well, yeah, I guess. I mean, the holiday. Home away from home. Yeah. And you're, we'll see later in the next two episodes that like, they really put so much emphasis on her reaction from after being told. Like that day, they start judging her reaction. And if someone told me like that, I'd be like, it's going to take me a good few days to process oh, yeah, this shit. The initial shock of that, can you imagine? Like, and then the, the immediate guilt that you might feel for not being home. I can't imagine mm-hmm. all the emotions that she was going mm-hmm. through at that point. And probably also terrified because had she stayed home, who knows what, if, what would have happened. It could have been her. Exactly. It could have been her. It could have been both of them. And then who knows when these other roommates were coming back because that might have been days. Right. So it's really hard to know how this could have played out. But like you said, I mean, I can't imagine the variety for lack of a better word of emotions that she's going through oh, yeah as a mean, shock you know yeah it's just and let me just say i used the word stomping <laughs> intentionally again i know i'm teasing you but we will talk about this in like the next two episodes as to why specifically and if you already know about this case then you kind of already know why i said that too the lead prosecutor, or at least the prosecutor at the time, Giuliano Mignini, noticed that Amanda and Raphael were being affectionate with each other, something that he found to be odd. The next day, they bring Amanda back to the house and ask her to go through and notice if anything was missing. When she gets to a knife drawer, Amanda says it just hit her all at once. According to Mignini, he says that Amanda had her head her hands up by her ears kind of like hitting her head and in his opinion he thought that this was a response to like a memory of like a sound or a scream that she was trying to like block out or whatever and since then basically Mignini has just been and the police they had just been gunning for her and immediately suspected her of killing her roommate i mean again we just discussed like how gross it was for the officer to explain or how he told her her roommate died and yet here's this dude like judging them for comforting each other i think that is so ridiculous because if one of my friends or flatmates or family members passed away that's what i would want is immediate comfort because there's so many things going on in your mind that you need something to have give you peace. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that's that's peace for me is just, you know, having that comfort. And I don't think that's abnormal at all um, or something to be questioned. But I think with her especially, people had her targeted from the beginning. And mm-hmm. any small detail they'll find to fit that narrative, they're going to use if, Except, you know, for yeah. their advantage. It's It's sickening. It it really is. And, like, the other thing was when you see the clips of, like, them, quote-unquote, being affectionate with each other, she looks upset. Yeah. So I'm like, her wait nose a minute. Is red. Yeah. The look in her eyes, which that's another thing that McNeeny said that, like, 
he, what made him think that she, it was her because you know he just saw evil in her eyes or something like that and yeah. it's like dude and in that clip like the way that it was described it made it seem like they were like making out or doing something so crazy right. that it wouldn't be able to fit in what was currently going on mm-hmm. but they just literally gave each other a peck on the lips and that was it yeah you know and they I mean? were hug- they were holding each other they were hugging i mean again you're being told that your roommate just died. You and this and your boyfriend have basically discovered it, essentially, because had they not realized that her door was locked or tried to kick it in and couldn't do that, right. like, that was, you know, more of the red flag, I think, you know, because had Meredith been asleep, you know, and they yeah. just, you know, tried to do that, she probably would have woken up from someone trying to break her door down. And they, I mean, I'm assuming you know. that they both knew... Meredith. I mean, I know obviously mm-hmm. Amanda did, but if he was over their place, mm-hmm. I'm sure he he grew attachment to her too. Mm-hmm. You know, that was that was their friend. That's really sad. Yeah. <laughs> you know, for both of them. Exactly. And that's the other thing too. Like, I mean, I know there are some cases where like the perpetrator will call the cops as a way to avoid suspicion. But that's not this case. If they ask you to come kick down the door, I mean, obviously you could spin your wheels thinking of all the ways, like, how they could have, you know, staged that. But, again, like, why why make it that difficult, you know? That's just, like, an extra step to have to do. Other than to just be like, oh my god, I, I, I just got home and I, you know, I was walking by my roommate's room and the door was open and I found her body. Right. Like, that's a lot more simple than <laughs> being like, oh yeah, let's lock the door from the inside yeah. and try and break it down, you know, like climb out a window. Like, what are... <laughs> what you're gonna go in do this you know do the d you know kill her and then climb out a window right <laughs> without leaving any trace no that doesn't that doesn't make sense okay. again it's just it's there's it's too much this is it's all too much <laughs> yeah it is just a mess and next week we will pick back up with Amanda and her fate and pretty much how this whole case became so popular. Well, not really popular, but controversial. Holy shit, guys. It is a shitstorm. <laughs> I mean, we were talking about this earlier. We remember, like, being younger and remembering this case and how the media, like, totally frames her or in this really disgusting way that at the time i mean we were what high school just starting high school yeah. maybe like in middle school so like we didn't know any better so we just i you know same thing i thought she did it <laughs> right and i to be honest with you i don't remember hearing anything specifically about meredith it was more about her mm-hmm. and how she did it and she did this and her behavior and her past mm-hmm. and she was never she never should have had that spotlight. No. It should have been and should have remained to be about Meredith. Right. And who and actually could have it. done it. Yeah. Which we're going to talk about that in the next two episodes. Hey, true crime friends. You've heard me talk about my amazing friend Mandy before. She makes the best crochet, cut, and custom home decor for reasonable prices. 
If you're looking for a one-of-a-kind gift or some new decor to add some new life into your home, look no further. Mandy has got you. I have quite a few items from her, ranging from a crocheted headband to Halloween decor items to my amazing and adorable Coraline ornament. Um, if you guys haven't noticed, I'm like obsessed with Coraline and I just love how Mandy makes it. She's also made me a Coraline doll that sits next to all of my true crime books. To order, just slide in her DMs on Facebook and Instagram at Mandy Made It. That's M-A-N-D-E-E made it on Facebook and Instagram. Once again, go to Mandy made it on Facebook and Instagram, send her a DM and order today. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and six one since that matters. And what do I even say other than, Hey, <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. And that is all we have for you today. I hope you all enjoy the rest of your week. Again, I want to shout out our two interns, Nicole and Kim. Thank you so much for everything and all that you do. Thank you to Joe Mahalan, our patron. If you want to become a patron and get access to exclusive, extra awesome content, go to patreon.com slash ivorytowerboilerroom and pick the tier that works best for you. And then at the end of each episode, I will read your name out here on the podcast. <clears throat> Don't forget to follow us on social media at True Crime and Academia on Instagram and TikTok, at the Ivory Tower Boiler Room on Instagram and TikTok, at Ivory Boiler Room on Twitter, and just search for the Ivory Tower Boiler Room on Facebook. Please stay safe out there. I love you all. Happy belated Valentine's Day. Because, yes, yesterday was Valentine's Day. So, happy belated Valentine's Day. And I will see you guys next week. True Crime in Academia is an Ivory Tower Boiler Room podcast. Members of the Ivory Tower Boiler Room include Andrew Rimby, Executive Director, Mary DePippi, Chief Contributor, and Jaron Usta, Marketing Director. Don't forget to like, rate, follow, and subscribe to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room on your favorite podcast platform. And go to our Patreon in the podcast description below to become a patron and have access to exclusive, never-before-seen content.